welcome. I greet you in the name of my Savior. I'm glad you're here today. Um, Meredith Skateras told me today, she didn't, this was the first time she knew that we had a band. So I'm really uh, glad that you came early enough to discover that. That's great. I'm so happy as heck that you came. and They're great, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Hooray. Um, we do have a good band. Yes, we do. Yes, I'm very thankful. Yes. Um, I'm happy you're here today. Uh, I want to... Tommy, this is my, wherever Tommy is, where'd he go? Um, okay, well, uh, this is, you can tell him that uh, this is my attempt today to beg, uh, convince, encourage, browbeat, pressure, bully, uh, whatever, whatever words you want to use. Today is my attempt to really, really challenge you to seriously consider becoming a part of one of our small groups. Um, many, many, many of you are involved, and I'm very thankful and happy that you are, but many of you aren't. And as so often is the case, as a pastor... You see things that other people maybe don't see as clearly. And as so often is the case, the very people that ought to be and need to be in a small group the most are the very ones that don't. And uh, it, it, I just, I'm, I, I've been praying all week, and I prayed extra hard this morning, early this morning, that the Lord would, would convince some of you that uh, are not in a small group, or, or your names on the the roster, but you're not involved in one, I really want you to consider uh, being in a, in a, in a small group because I, I believe with all my heart it'll bless you and it'll change your life. And uh, so anyway, this is my attempt to do that today. Um, I believe uh, as passionately as I know how that it's God's design that we travel together if we are going to travel well and if we are going to finish well. You've heard me say many times that it was never God's design for the Christian life to be a relationship between you and God, me and God. That is as foreign. The only person that would believe that or think that is somebody that's never read the Bible. Because it's just not in the Bible. That's not, the, that's not a biblical model. God created us and created the Christian life to be a journey that he wants us to do and to travel uh, together. And the thing that I'm concerned about today that I want you to be concerned about with me is I want, I'm concerned that we finish well. I want to finish well. And I want you to finish well. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why I'm concerned about not finishing well. Me not finishing well. You not finishing well. 
Um, recently, and I think I've mentioned this before, but recently uh, several significant Christian pastors and teachers and leaders that five years ago were unbelievably respected and uh, would come to conferences and be keynote speakers and have written books that people that, you know, are into, into reading Christian theology and Christian church growth and all these things, um, they, they would read their books and consider them true leaders and experts. And in the, just, in, just this year, several of them, people that I respected, uh, have come out and just said, I don't believe that uh, Jesus is the Son of God. I, don't, I no longer believe that. I no longer believe that the Bible uh, is true, is authoritative, is the inspired Word of God. I no longer believe those things. And that might not be a big deal to you. But it is a big deal to me that somebody that five years ago could believe things as passionately as I believe them. And come to a place one day where they just no longer believe those things. Um, that is incredibly disheartening and discouraging and scary for me. Um, my concern about finishing well. Uh, some of that's emphasized, Shirley, by, the, by your daddy. Um, uh, clearly, just for my number of references to Sherry's dad over the years to y'all. He's a significant influence in my life and just a significant follower of Christ. Um, and he's at the end of his life. And I, I don't mean like next week or anything like that, but he's, he can see the lights of the runway. And uh, I find it so amazing that this is a man that has known and followed Christ for 50 years. Um, he's going to finish well. And that just accentuates for me the question, Larry, are you going to finish well? Are you going to follow? Are you going to finish well? In that heritage, that example, are you going to finish well in your faith and devotion and service to Christ and His kingdom like your father-in-law has. And that, that accentuates this. Um, I want to finish well and I want you to finish well. And You know, I see people that I know and love. People in this room, just to be quite honest with you. Who I've known for an extended period of time. And I saw you at one point in your life. With such... Abandoned devotion to Christ. And he was first. He was Lord. He was king. And you, it was obvious to anybody that knew you or watched your life. And today, by the very fact that you're here, you're still, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. But it's different. It's different. What you talk about, how you talk, where you go, what you do, 
your involvement, your, uh, it's, you're different. I'm not talking about making mistakes or being perfect. That's not what I mean. I just mean the overall direction of our lives. Um, I want to finish well. Um, I can't get certain Bible verses out of my head. Um, I just play them over and over and over again. Warnings by Jesus. Warnings by Paul. Warnings by John. That there is a real danger of not finishing well. And you're sitting there going possibly, you know, well that's not going to happen to me. That's not a concern for me. I'm, I know I'm going to. Jesus and Paul and John would say, we should be concerned. We should be not worried. That's the wrong word. Although that's what I do. Just <laughs> honestly. But I'm not saying we should be worried. or that you. But I am saying that it does it. Do you get up in the morning and think about, am, am I going to finish this deal well? Um. And I, the Bible is just filled with Matthew chapter 24. Jesus told the disciples. Sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. That's a, that is a um, sobering verse. Hebrews chapter 2, Paul says, We must listen with care to the truth that we have heard, lest we drift away. Paul says in Philippians 1, I want you to grasp what truly matters so that you will live a pure and blameless life until Christ returns. And then the Lord Jesus in Revelation 2 says, Be faithful till you die, and I will give you the crown of life. The implication is that if you're not faithful, if I'm not faithful that in the end, I won't receive the crown of life. Now, I don't necessarily know what that means, and I don't want you to connect dots that I'm not connecting. But just take it at face value. Jesus is appealing to us to be faithful till the end. Not, to, oh, I gave my heart to Jesus at youth camp when I was 14 and I was on fire for Jesus for the first 10, 15, 20 years of my life. But then isn't it normal that you slow down and cool off and take it easy? Isn't that the normal way that life works? There comes a point when you get distracted by your children and your job and your grandchildren and your, your retirement plans and you're supposed to coast. Don't those verses say anything about that? I'm more certain than ever in my life. I want you to hear me. I'm more certain than I've ever been in my life. That there are times in my life 
when I will be unable to believe. I'll be unable to walk. I'm talking about spiritually. I'll be unable to hold on. I'll be unable to stand strong. I'll be unable to pray. I'll be unable to follow Christ. There are going to be times, guys, I'm convinced, when it's too dark. It's too hard. It's too confusing. It's too painful. I'm weary. I'm confused. I'm angry. I'm in the dark and I don't know where to turn to get light. And I just can't follow anymore. I can't walk anymore. I can't trust anymore. I can't pray anymore. I can't obey anymore. And I want you to know that when I go through times like that, and I do, and you do too, That's when I need other Christians in my life to stand for me, to walk for me, to believe for me, to pray for me. I can't do it. I can't do it right now. And I need Chuck to do those things, things that I on other days, in other seasons, whether God gives me the grace or whether I access the grace, you can help me understand that better another time. But I don't utilize the grace. Your fault, my fault, everybody's fault, nobody's fault. I don't know about that. But I don't utilize the grace. And I don't want to pray. I don't want to read the Bible. I don't want to worship. I don't want to stand up and sing praises to God. I don't want to be thankful. Not only do I not thank, I don't even want to do it. And it's at times like that when it's so dark and so confusing and so painful and so wearisome I believe that God designed a journey with Him that at those moments God wants there to be and God has people in my life that will stand for me and hold on for me and fight for me and pray for me at times when I'm tempted to quit. And if I am to survive I need the help of others to believe and walk and hold on and pray. And I just won't endure without their faith, without their strength, without their wisdom, without their courage, without their prayers. And yet so many of us see spiritual community as optional we don't value it. It's not a matter of life and death. And that's what I want you. That's what I want the Holy Spirit to convince us of today. 
that our spiritual community is a matter of life and death. It's not just a take it or leave it type situation. It's not just one more duty. I think that for so many of us, we see the Christ, the going to church, being a part of a spiritual community, being a part of a small group. It's just one more duty that I've got to add to this list of things that I'm supposed to be doing and I'm not doing well. Did you brush your teeth this morning? I brush my teeth twice a day, whether I need to or not. Every day. My wife tries to cram vitamins down my throat. It's faster than a speeding bullet. And I give it the yeoman's effort to fight them off. But she tries to get them in my mouth because she takes them like a dope fiend. She's popping vitamins in her mouth just as fast as she can. But I don't think that she takes those vitamins. Uh, uh, bless you. As a duty. I don't brush my teeth as a duty. I don't, uh, uh, we, for, we brush our teeth. Many of you take vitamins. Uh, we wear seat belts. There are things that we do. Uh, we go, so, so I wouldn't, horrifying, but so many of you, no offense to Brian and Natalie, but many of you go to a gym. You know, uh, uh, you know those kind of things. We, we go to those places, or y'all go to those places, and... Uh, we do these things, but it's not, I don't think, out of duty. It's that we are able to see or believe that if we do certain things, it will lead us to a better life. There will be a time, I brush my teeth every day because I want my mouth to be a source of blessing to me and a source of blessing to others. Right? And yet, we're so faithful to do certain things and we don't see them as a burden or a duty because we really do see that there's an end result. And I want us to consider the fact that spiritual community has many benefits and there's many reasons why we ought to be a vital part. But I want you to just know that at the, at the bottom core of my being, the ultimate reason that you, we should be a part of a spiritual community is because it ultimately leads to us finishing well. You might say, well, I've got plenty of people in my life. But I'm not talking about how many Facebook friends you've got or how, how, how many... Uh, how many friends you've got or how, uh, how full your calendar is with events. I'm not talking about just relationships in general. I know uh, I've got more people in my life than I want. I'd like to weed a bunch of them out. So I'm, I understand having a lot of people in your life. Okay, I get that. But there's a difference in having a bunch of people in your life and in having people in your life who care about your soul. That want you to flourish and thrive. 
as an image bearer of God and as a child of God and as somebody that is on the same journey they are and who seriously are committed to you succeeding and to you finishing well. That is complete. That, those two groups of people, all of your social buddies and people who take ownership of your soul and go, I want you to flourish and thrive and I want you to succeed and I want you to finish well. That, those, I'm not saying that there can't be overlap, but in my life, those are two different groups. I'm more cognizant than any other time in my life that the Bible giants, the, the, the saints in the Bible that uh, were the greatest examples of people with deep, strong, lasting faith, people that lived it well and finished well like Sherry's daddy. They lived it well and they finished well because they had a deep, strong faith. They all knew something that many of us don't know. And that is that my walk with God depends on people, my relationship with people, my walk with God depends on my relationship with people who walk with God. Do you get that? Do you see that? That your walk with God. I'm not talking about it any given moment of a day, day of a week, week of a month. I'm not talking about a blip on the radar. I'm talking about a 50-year journey like her dad, like Cherry's daddy's had with Christ. I'm telling you that if he, could, he can't do it anymore. He doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know who he's with. It's over for him. But I'm telling you for 48 of those years of him journeying with Christ. What an example of somebody that understood. That my walk with God. Depends upon my relationship with people who walk Deeper, strong. He's got, I've never known anybody that had deeper, stronger, richer relationships with other people who were committed to his spiritual success and to him finishing well. That, that defines his life. It defined the people in the Bible. Moses, what an incredible man of God. With what faith to stand in front of Pharaoh and faith to stand in front of the, the uh, Red Sea and faith to walk across the desert and faith to climb up that Mount Sinai and faith to bring water out of rocks and uh, uh, quail into the camp and manna down from heaven. What a man of faith. But the testimony of Scripture is Moses would have fallen flat on his face if it weren't for Aaron and her. He got tired. He got weary. And he couldn't do it. There came a day when he couldn't do it anymore. And what did he do? He had men in his life who said, 
I'll hold your arm up until you can get your strength back. What a beautiful picture. Do you have people like that? That know you well enough to know when your arms get weary. Notice when you're not being faithful. Can see. Not them. How you doing brother? Fine. Doing fine. And they know you well enough to go. No you're not. No you're not. David had Jonathan. And the mighty men. Ruth. What a, what a beautiful lady. Of such pure childlike faith in God but as a new you know just bear with me as someone that had a, a new tight faith in God she had the wisdom that many of us don't my spiritual success demands that I stick close to Naomi because my relationship, my, my walk with God will be dependent. And Naomi, relationship with somebody who walks with God. And Naomi, wherever you go, I'm going to go. I'm going to stick on you like, well, I'm just going to stay close. I'm going to get in trouble when I use my little analogy, so I won't. Um, but uh, 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 the Apostle Paul, the greatest Example of a follower of God in the Bible. Who, who would say, yeah, I got a faith like the Apostle Paul. I walk with God like the Apostle Paul. I, I'm willing to suffer like the Apostle Paul. Who would say that? And yet this man who committed his life to knowing and following God, who was taken up to the third heaven and, and spent time in the presence of God in a way that was absolutely unique to himself, who wrote half, give or take, the, the New Testament. I mean, this is a, there is no giant in the Bible like the Apostle Paul. And yet the Apostle Paul understood what I'm trying to get us to understand. And that is, you never see the Apostle Paul alone. When was it Paul? You remember the Bible talking about Paul? No, 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 it's never Paul. It's Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Silas. Paul and Timothy. Paul and Titus. Paul and Luke. Paul always had spirit. He traveled with spiritual community. And if you read his life carefully, Paul was always going from one spiritual community to the next spiritual community. He never, he wasn't just, he didn't just light out, hey, let's go take a trip. See the sights. No, no. He was going from his spiritual community in Ephesus to his spiritual community in Philippi. And then from Philippi to his spiritual community at Colossae. And from Colossae to Rome. And from Rome to Thessalonica. And on and on and on. To the point that when Paul was at his lowest point in a Roman jail, he wrote this to Timothy, one of his best friends. Timothy, please come as soon as possible. For Demas, another of Paul's friends, has deserted me. For he loves the things of this life. And he's gone to Thessalonica. And Cretans, another of Paul's friends, has gone to Galatia. And Titus has gone to Dalmatia. And only Luke is with me. So please come, and when you come, 
bring Mark with you, for he's such a blessing to me. Paul understood that by God's design, yes, God can, can do anything. But the way God has designed the Christian life to operate is that he surrounds us with people who have faith and strength and wisdom and courage. And when we need it, we can draw on them. And when they need it, they can draw on us. Even the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, at His lowest, darkest, most discouraging moment. What did He do? He told His, his spiritual community, His guys, His disciples, let's go to the garden. Let's go to the garden. He was going to die in the morning. Come with me to the garden. And when He got to the garden, what did He say? He said, guys, I'm really struggling right now. I'm having a hard time. Would y'all pray for me? I'm going to go a little further and I'm going to pray too. But while I'm praying for myself, I need y'all to pray for me too. Jesus understood. If Jesus knew, if Jesus needed spiritual community to get through the difficult times of life, what does that say about us? Such a contrast to the independence, the individuality, the, the, the I can do it by myself attitude of Samson. Who is it? Samson and Samson. And, you know, it's David and Jonathan, Moses and Aaron, Ruth and Naomi, Samson and I forget his name. What's his, what's his buddy's name that stands by him and warns him and fights for him and helps? What's his buddy's name? There ain't one. And what about King Saul? King Saul and, and King Saul and there ain't one. And Solomon, the, even the wisest man that ever lived. Solomon and no. There's no answer to put in the blank. I'm more convinced than I've ever been that the Christian life was never designed by God to be traveled alone. One of You've heard me pray this, most of you, countless times. Lord Jesus, I want the Jesus that lives in August to minister to the Jesus that lives in me. And I want the Jesus that lives in me to minister to the Jesus that lives in August. What am I praying? I'm praying that that fluid, dynamic of spiritual community will operate between us. That God will use His life and power and wisdom and love and grace and ministry that He's put into you. I want it to spill over into my life. And I would like for that same thing to happen from my life to hers. But do we, do we even, did you come this morning wanting that? I'm so happy you're here. And I don't, I don't want you to feel like I'm scolding you for being here. Oh my goodness, I'm so thankful you're here. But I think most of us, 
You know, I hope old Justin sings. In fact, they sing better than they did last week. I hope, you know, I hope I don't sing a song that I've heard before that's not one of my faves. You know, Michael, I appreciate what you said today. But the, and I really do. But the truth is, one of the major reasons that we ought to come early, earlier, and get here and stand beside one another and sing praises to God. Yes, it ought to be because we want to bless the heart of God. And yes, it ought to be uh, because we are thankful. Of course. But you know one of the most powerful reasons that we ought to stand and sing praises to God? is because when I stand and I sing unto the Lord with all of my might, oblivious to anything or anyone in this room, and I'm just pouring my, my thanks and my love and my devotion and my heart out to God. You know one of the most powerful things that's going on when I do that, or when you do that, is that there are people in this room who aren't really sure that God's real. They're not sure. That God cares. They're not sure that God's great. They're not sure that God loves. They're not sure that God forgives. They're not sure that God's worthy of praise. And to see, look over and go, that guy believes. That lady, she really believes that. There's something that happens in my life when I look around and I see people, especially people that have reasons not to thank, not to praise, not to sing. And they're singing their hearts out. And I'm like, maybe it is true. Maybe he is real. Maybe I ought to give him another chance. See, it's not just about you. And it's not just, forgive me, it's not just about God. <laughs> yes, you're important. And absolutely God's important. But when I choose to praise and worship and sing unto the Lord, there's also a dynamic that's taking place in the lives. When they look over and go, that moron, he really believes that stuff. Maybe I ought to consider it again. Because maybe there was a time years ago when I did believe. But I got tired. And now I doubt. That's when, see, my faith can spill over into somebody else's. And your faith can spill over into me. Do I come to church wanting you to impact me with God's grace? Do I come to church wanting God to use me to impact you? Do I come with a Bible verse or ready to pray? Again, some, every once in a while. Michael uh, will have a prayer time and things are going on and I'm asking you to pray for people or Michael's got people praying. And somebody just, not even asked, just pops up and goes over and starts praying. Oh my gosh! How great is that? Did, did I get in the car this morning and say, Lord, I bet there's somebody at church today that needs special prayer. Would you lead me to them today? Would you let me bump into them today so that I can pray for them? Do we even think like that? Wonder what God had in mind when he wrote in Hebrews 12. I want you to strengthen feeble hands and legs and feet. 
I want you to rescue those who are straying. And I want you to pray for those that are hurting. Those are just nice, poetical words. Or does God really want us to come to spiritual community and look for people that we can strengthen who are not at this moment strong? People that are straying and need somebody to say, hey, it's going to be okay. I'll walk with you for a while. And to pray for people that are hurting. God made you and me a promise in Psalm 34. When he says, God is close to the brokenhearted and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. God is close to the brokenhearted and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. That's a promise from God. Ever wondered how God keeps that promise? He could magically, you know, he could do that. But I wonder if God's design to draw close to the brokenhearted and to rescue those whose spirits are crushed. What if it's the Jesus in me that God wants to send to help those whose spirits are crushed? Those that are discouraged, those that are hurting, those that are lonely, those that are confused. What if God wants to keep His promise, but He wants to do it through the hands and feet and face and words of His body? You ever thought about that? I want to be close to the promise to Alan. I want to be close to the brokenhearted. And I promise to rescue those whose spirits are crushed. God made that promise to Linda. God made that promise to Matt. God made that promise to Tina. God made that promise to George and Meredith. God made that promise to Sarah. God made that promise to Randy. God made that promise to Jim that God is close to the brokenhearted and He will strengthen and rescue those whose spirits are crushed. How do you think God will fulfill that promise? He could do it any dead gum way He wants. And I'm not minimizing or denying that. But I have to believe that maybe the main way he would like to do it is through his body. So that when I'm close to you, you feel God's closeness. Oswald Chambers said this, Beware 
of isolation. The idea that you can become godly and holy alone, that is impossible. What you will develop is a spiritual life that is peculiar and weak. A life that is the opposite of what God has for you. The only way to develop spiritually is to join a community of believers. And soon, you will see God begin to impact and alter your life. It's so easy to create a worldview today that is shaped entirely by our personal interest and desires. I eat, I shop, and I play where I want, how I want, when I want. And if you don't like, value, or live as I do, I don't bother getting to know you. You do you and I'll do me. Isn't that what the commercial says? But the impact of such individuality, such isolation, such division on our spiritual lives is both costly and destructive. One of my great joys, maybe the greatest joy that I have, at least in this world, is serving you the Lord's Supper. I love to do that. I love the connection that I have for just a second with each one of you. I love to see your face and look into your eyes. It's a blessing to me. But the Lord's Supper, by God's design, has an incredible message about the body. It displays the beautiful diversity of Christ's body. It reminds us that in this world, the church is one of the few places where all the racial, economic, and cultural in humility and equality before the table that possesses or holds the bread and the wine we are all just sons and daughters of God. Equally saved, equally cherished, equally loved by the same person. CEOs and clerks, retirees and third graders, the bold and beautiful and the timid and hurting, Republicans and Democrats, readers and runners, those that are mobile and those that are stuck, the politically correct and the politically incorrect, the haves and the have-nots. We all lift our voices in thanks to the one who has invaded our lives with love and grace and mercy and hope. You see, we're not just here as spectators that happen to have chosen the same event to gather at. We're here as family. Whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, whether you agree with it or not, we are a family. And just like I'm stuck with my family, 
And I recognize that. I recognize this point. Okay? But we're, we're a family. We're not just spectators. Do we see that? Do we embrace that? We have come together to know God and to be known by God. And to experience and be the recipients of fresh grace and wisdom and love and healing and light and hope. And my challenge to us today is to consider the very biblical possibility that God's, or at least one of God's primary ways of pouring all those great things into your life and into my life is through the other members of the family. We'll stop there. I hear people almost every, not every day, but once a week, somebody will call me, stop me, come see me, shoot me a text. When for, you know, various reasons in their lives, they, this is what they say. Different words, but this is what they say. The Christian life doesn't work. Maybe the life that you're living isn't the Christian life. Christian life doesn't work. I feel alone. I don't feel helped. I don't feel blessed. I don't feel wise. I don't feel peaceful. I don't feel joyful. The Christian life doesn't work. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe we ought to throw that stupid book out in the trash and say to Hades with that cross and go home. Maybe we should. Maybe the problem with the Christian life is not the one who established it. Maybe I'm not embracing and following and utilizing all that God wants me to utilize so that it does work. At least enough to get me through one more day. And then we'll have to worry about tomorrow tomorrow. Right? Y'all know the old story about the dude that was in the flood and wound up being top of his house. Lord, I believe. Send me help. Send me help. Lord, rescue me. Rescue me. Lord, rescue me. Get me out. You promised you'd rescue me. And he sent all these different boats and helicopters and all these different people. And he wound up drowning. Got to heaven and said, Lord, you, you broke your promise to me. You told me that you would always be my rescuer and my helper. And he said, dude, I sent you all the help you ever could use you just didn't you didn't want to utilize the help of sent could that be true in our lives too join a small group <laughs> join a small group okay, okay. all right um Doug would you and Randy come up and help me Please. One of you. Who, you come stand right there. Uh, one of you. Whoever. Yeah. 
I'm not trying to scold. I genuinely want us to finish well. I want us to finish well. I want to believe in Jesus as strongly on the day that I die as I do today. And I want that for you too. I believe for that to happen, we need each other's help. We ought to utilize it. I find it significant that the night that Jesus instituted his supper, he took the first bread and the first wine gathered by his spiritual community. These guys, from now on when you gather together, I want you to do something. I want you to eat bread and drink wine and I want you to remember me and what I did for you. Remember my love for you. Remember my sacrifice for you. What's the other part of the Lord's Supper? What's the other part of the Lord's Supper that's always connected? Jesus took off a garment, his garment, his robe, laid it aside, wrapped a towel around his waist, took a bowl of water, and he ministered to the body. He ministered to the body. The ministry to the body, that is vitally connected to remembering what Jesus did for us. You can't separate them. So, I want us to minister to one another. I'm not asking you to wash each other's feet, although I think that might be Lovely. I'm not. That, that, we're not gonna, we don't have time to do that today. And all you ladies would want to know in advance so you could get a pedicure. Uh, but but anyway, um, I just want us to see that when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper to remember His sacrifice on the cross, He led into that by ministering to the body. And I, I just I have to believe there's a connection there. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and He has impacted your life with grace and He has adopted you into His family and you have a hope that someday you will go to be with Him in heaven. I invite you, He invites you to come and eat bread and drink wine and to remember and give thanks. So you, There will be people on my right and my left by the windows, who would love to pray for you. That's the body, praying for the body. Avail yourself of that if you need prayer. Pray for one another, okay? You come.